Dear Father in heaven, we thank you once again for giving us the privilege of life. We pray, Lord, that our lives shall be a glory, a praise, and a blessing to the earth and to your name. Now, dear Lord, as we fellowship with you, we ask, please, grant us of your spirit. Feed us, dear Lord. We are on our journey to the Canaan land, and we pray that you will grant to us the manna from above that will strengthen and edify us. Your word says that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. With our own minds, we will wrest the scriptures out of its true meaning. Or, even if we read it, we will not be able to draw out any lessons. So we ask, Lord, grant us of your spirit, that as we go to your word, we shall rightly divide the word of truth. As for me, Lord, please, put your words in my mouth, grant me understanding, that I may speak blessings, strength, edification, and help to all your children who are listening. Thank you for hearing and answering. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, August 4 All on the Altar No man, having put his hand to the plough, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9 verse 62 We are not all asked to serve as Elisha served nor are we all bidden to sell everything we have. But God asks us to give his service the first place in our lives, to allow no day to pass without doing something to advance his work in the earth. He does not expect from all the same kind of service. One may be called to ministry in a foreign land, another may be asked to give of his means to the support of the gospel work. God accepts the offering of each. It is the consecration of the life and all its interests that is necessary. Those who make this consecration will hear and obey the call of heaven. It was no great work that was at first required of Elijah. Commonplace duties still constituted his discipline. He is spoken of as pouring water on the hands of Elijah, his master. He was willing to do anything that the Lord directed and at every step, he learned lessons of humility and service. Elisha's life after uniting with Elijah was not without temptations, trials he had in abundance, but in every emergency he relied on God. He was tempted to think of the home that he had left, but to this temptation he gave no heed. Having put his hand to the plough, he was resolved not to turn back, and through test and trial, he proved true to this trust. As Elisha accompanied the prophet, his faith and resolution were once more tested. At Gilgal, and again at Bethel and Jericho, he was invited by the prophet to turn back, but he would not be diverted from his purpose. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. Elisha asked not for worldly honor or for a high place among the great men of earth, 
that which he craved was a large measure of the spirit that God had bestowed so freely upon the one about to be honored with translation. He knew that nothing but the spirit which had rested upon Elijah could fit him to fill the place in Israel to which God had called him. And so he asked, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is All on the Altar. And we left off contemplating the call of Elisha and his response and why it was that he responded in such a manner. We looked at the blessing of doing the work of ministerial service that Elisha left the worldly work for. And we see that it is a pearl of great price indeed. And unless we view this work through the lenses of the Lord Jesus, we will see that it is a more lucrative and profitable business than the earthly and secular labor. Now, today, looking at this topic all on the altar, it is to help us to understand that the work where God calls us to be is where we should be. Not everyone is called to minister the way Elisha ministered and the lesson we'll be getting from this devotion is to help us to understand God's calling and how to properly um, do the work there having a right mindset about this thing because we may be hearing about Elisha and everybody's thinking oh should I leave my work and go and do ministerial labor yesterday we already saw that that's not what God is saying God wants us wherever we are to be representatives and ministers and ministers for him reading the book of second Kings from verse 1 chapter 2 from verse 1 it says and it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Now, by the way, these two places, Gilgal and Bethel, the reason why Elijah was going there was because these are the places he usually visited because they had there the schools of the prophets. So now the Lord sent him to Bethel, of course, to speak to the people there. Going on in verse 3 now it says, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thee, from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha, and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. So this is the third school of the prophets. We have three of them. One at Gilgal, another at Bethel, and another at Jericho. Going on, it says, And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here. For the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went, and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together, and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither. 
so that they too went over the, on the dry ground. You see, as we look at this story of Elijah and Elisha, one thing we can observe about Elisha is that he considered the work of God as the most important thing in his life. He gave it the first place. This was the reason he was able to put all he had into the work. He put all he had by leaving the previous occupation to work for God. This is the lesson we are all to learn, to lay all on the altar of sacrifice and give not a half-hearted but a full-hearted service to God. The first commandment bids us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. This means that we are to lay all on the altar of the Lord. This means that in some sense, we are to have all our affection, our resources, abilities, skill, physical strength and our mental faculties consecrated to God. It means that all these are to be used for nothing that will not give glory to God and to be used for only things that will bring glory to Him. When we use our abilities for anything that does not bring glory to God, we do not have all on the altar. And what are the things that bring glory to God? Is it only ministerial labor? No, no, no. As we read in Conflict and Courage, page 222, paragraph 2, it says, We are not all asked to serve as Elisha served, nor are we all bidden to sell everything we have. But God asks us to give his service the first place in our lives, to allow no day to pass without doing something to advance his work in the earth. He does not expect from all the same kind of service. One may be called to ministry in, for, in a foreign land, another may be asked to give of his means for the support of the gospel work. God accepts the offering of each. It is the consecration of the life and all his interests that is necessary. So hear that again. What is necessary? The consecration of the life and all its interests. Those who make the consecration, this consecration, will hear and obey the call of heaven. End of quote. You see, there are some who see men of God who are famous for preaching God's word. They see them on YouTube, they see them on the TV, and they have these big ministries and some people in their mind are wishing to have some ministry of their own, a platform whereby they can also come on the world stage and preach the gospel like these men. They imagine in their minds to do some great work like having a school, sanitarium, publishing house, or even a YouTube channel, or just being a popular tele-evangelist doing the work of God. Many times, it is actually pride and the selfishness of the heart that prompts these thoughts. We need to check our motives. Will those who think this way take the pains to share the gospel to their neighbor that is just close to them, as opposed to being a tele-evangelist? Will they answer the call to preach to the poor nearby? Pride and desire for worldly popularity can also motivate us to desire to do great works. If we look to Jesus, we will not be indulging thoughts using God's work as a means of self-exaltation and gaining popularity and fame. Reading from Messages to Young People, page 162, paragraph 2, we are told, He who beholds Christ in his self-denial, his lowliness of heart, will be constrained to say as did Daniel when he beheld one like the sons of men, My comeliness was turned in me into corruption. Human nature is ever struggling for expression, ready for contest. But he who learns of Christ is emptied of self, of pride, of love of supremacy, and there is silence in the soul. 
self is yielded to the disposal of the Holy Spirit, then we are not anxious to have the highest place. We have no ambition to crowd and elbow ourselves into notice, but we feel that our highest place is at the feet of our Savior. We look to Jesus waiting for his hand to lead, listening for his voice to guide. The Apostle Paul had this experience and he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. End of quote. So one thing we need to really set clearly in our minds, like I read in Conflict and Courage, page 222, paragraph 2, is that it is not all who are called to ministerial labor. There are other lines of duty. All It's not the same kind of service God requires from us. Like it says here, some are called to minister in a foreign land. And there are people who will look at others who are going to minister in a foreign land as, oh, these people are not doing the work of God. They should have stayed in their locality. No. Like we read now, some may be called to ministry in a foreign land. Others are told to remain in their locality. And others are not even called to minister in the gospel. Some are just told to support with their means, their money. Others, in other ways, like Elisha was serving as we used, as we saw yesterday, you are called to support the minister. By doing what? Preaching with him? No. Supporting by helping in domestic duties. All of this are still the work of God. And it is important that we view these things in the right way. Yesterday, we read from Conflict and Courage, page 221, paragraph 3. It says, because they are not connected with some directly religious work, many feel that their lives are useless, that they are not do, they are doing nothing for the advancement of God's kingdom. Because they can serve only in little things, they think themselves justified in doing nothing. In this, they err. A man may be in the active service of God while engaged in the ordinary everyday duties, while felling trees, hear that, while felling trees, clearing the ground or following the plow. The mother who trains her children for Christ is as truly working for God as is the minister in the pulpit. Many long for special talent with which to do a wonderful work while the duties lying close at hand, the performance of which would make the life fragrant are lost sight of. Success depends not so much on talent as on energy and willingness. The commonest tasks wrought with loving faithfulness are beautiful in God's sight. End of quote. So, where is God calling us to? We can lay all on the altar, not by neglecting your work to go and do ministerial labor, but remaining just where you are. Reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, from verse 19 to 22, just hear what this has to say. It says, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. A thou called being a servant, care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. And then verse 24 says, Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Amen. So what does this mean? Paul says here that as a rule, we can serve God wherever we are. God has placed each man wherever they are strategically. 
and it is not by chance. Ministry of Healing, page 473, paragraph 1 says, If the Lord desires us to bear a message to Nineveh, it will not be as pleasing to him for us to go to Joppa or to Capernaum. He has reasons for sending us to the place toward which our feet have been directed. At that very place, there may be someone in need of the help we can give. He who sent Philip to the Ethiopian counselor, Peter to the Roman centurion, and the little Israelitish maiden to the help of Naaman, the Syrian captain, sends men and women and youth today as his representatives to those in need of divine help and guidance. End of quote. Of the three people that were mentioned just here now, Peter John, Peter Philip, and also that Israelite maiden, one of them, which is the Israelite maiden, was not a minister. She was just a maid. But as a maid, she did the work of God. How did she do the work of God? She did it by living in accordance to God's commandments. Remember, we read in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 19, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing. In other words, whatever state you find yourself is not what matters. The occupation you are doing is not what matters. But the, the passage says, but the keeping of the commandments of God. God knows why he placed you where you are. He intentionally made you to be from the nation you are from and the race, the tribe, the location and the family were all selected by him, not by chance but intentionally. Our occupation also, as far as it is in line with his word, is not an it's not a dishonest occupation is also well chosen by him and it is not pleasing for us to select another without his guidance our states our circumstances in this world are distributed by divine providence and again as the lord has called everyone so let him walk whatever his circumstance or condition was when he got converted to christianity god is saying to us abide there and let your conversation, your newfound faith, your principles suit your your um, occupation. Make your occupation to suit your newfound faith. The rules and principles of the word of God and of Christianity reach every condition and occupation. And in every state, a man may live so as to be in harmony with the Lord's will and his commandments. Not that it is the duty of every Christian to so fashion and conduct and suit his behavior to his occupation and the rules of the word of God. And he is to be content with this wherever you are and then conduct yourself as a Christian in that place. Now, what does Paul add to this as a general rule to be observed at all times is that this is how God has ordained it in all churches. Reading from my life today page 220 paragraph 2 we are told if you walk in the light you can everyone be a light be light bearers to the world do not seek to accomplish some great work and neglect the little opportunities close at hand we can do very much by exemplifying the truth in our daily life the influence which we may thus exert cannot be easily withstood men may combat and defy our logic they may resist our appeals, but a life of holy purpose, of disinterested love in their behalf, is an argument in favor of the truth that they cannot gainsay. Far more can be accomplished by humble, devoted, virtuous lives than can be effected by preaching when a godly example is lacking.
You can labor to build up the church, to encourage your brethren, and to make the social meetings interesting. And you can let your prayers go out like sharp sickles with the laborers into the harvest field. Each should have a personal interest, a burden of soul to watch and pray for the success of the work. End of quote. So here, we are seeing other lines of labor, which the first and most important one is a life of holiness. That is the work that you are to do as a laborer, as a mechanic, as a welder, doctor, lawyer, nurse, as someone who is a businessman. You can serve God by keeping his commandments. You may not need to change your occupation. Elisha was serving God while he was plowing the field and verily was serving God as a minister to Elijah, a servant to Elijah. And he was also serving God when Elijah still was taken away from him. We are told, continuing the reading, you can also in meekness call the attention of others to the precious truths of God's word. Young men, may never be able to present the truth from the desk that's from the pulpit but they could go from house to house and point the people to the lamb of god that take it away the sin of the world the dust and rubbish of error have buried the precious jewels of truth but the lord's workers can uncover these treasures so that many will look upon them with delight and awe there is a great variety of work adapted to different minds and varied capabilities in the day of god no no one will be excused for being shut up to his own selfish interests and it is by working for others that you will keep your own souls alive earnest unselfish effort will garner sheaves for jesus the lord is a mighty helper end of quote so what are we learning from these things now that we can work for god with whatever occupation we are doing Your occupation does not stop you from going to knock on people's doors to have Bible studies with them once in a while or even selecting special days for that. You don't need to change your occupation to do that. And again, we read earlier, some people's work is to support the gospel with money. This is not just tithes and offering now. This is just money to support the gospel. Offerings that you give. This is not just your tithes now, but even your offerings that you give to just support the work. And then, we are also reading here that some can help with their prayers that goes as a sharp sickle with the laborers that are in the field. You didn't join them to go on the evangelism. You're not preaching like I'm doing right now. But what can you do? You can pray. And that prayer is powerful to help those who are laboring in the field. You can do these things and encourage those. You can even, like we read now, in the social meetings, some people, when they are having their social meetings, when I mean social meetings, as church service, Bible studies, they just keep quiet. They're not saying nothing. It is part of the work of the ministry to do something for the work of God by giving your contributions. I read it in my life today, page 220, paragraph 2. It says, Far more can be accomplished by humble, devoted, virtuous lives that can be affected by preaching when a godly example is lacking. You can labor to build up the church, to encourage your brethren, and to make the social meetings interesting. And you can let your prayers go out like sharpsicles. How do you make the social meetings interesting? By your questions and contributions, not by keeping silent. There are many people who do that. They just keep silent because of their self-preservation. They don't want to say something that they think they are so conscious. They are thinking people are laughing at them or they don't want to make mistakes in the contributions they give or in the questions they ask. Why? You are not excused like we have just read that no one is excused to say, 
uh, there was nothing for me to do for God. There is something for every one of us to do. There are some who think that the only way they can serve God is by being a great and popular preacher like Paul. But this is not the case at all. There are some who even, even imagine that in the work of God, he has reserved his greatest and most special rewards for those who are in the forefront fighting the battles of the Lord, preaching, studying and bringing souls to Christ because of their ability to break down the word of God. Yet yeah, these abilities, make no mistake, they are the best of gifts for they bring souls into the light. That is the preaching of the word of God, the foolishness of preaching like the Bible calls it. They are essential. But also make no mistake, the Lord does not judge as men judge. He does not reward those who do the work of preaching more than those who are engaged in secular labor. Now, we need to check our motives when we seek to be involved in what we call great works for God. When we neglect the work that lies near us because it keeps us in obscurity and we opt to do that work that brings us into prominence, we must be sure that we are not having a motive to exalt ourselves. Like we saw yesterday in 2 Kings 3 verse 11, Elisha is described as one who was involved in commonplace duties. He left his lucrative business to merely pour water on the hands of Elijah. Such a work doesn't seem to be important or even financially lucrative, but Elisha understood the importance of it. It was connected to the work of God because it was done for the prophet of the Lord. This was no large work Elisha was doing, and he was content to do it nonetheless. He was not impatient, waiting for the day when he, like Elijah, would command the rain to cease or fire to come down from heaven. He didn't think this was the aim of his calling. And we've seen how this was not necessarily a great work, but yet, Elisha did it nonetheless. A marked characteristic of Elisha was contentment with his position and willingness to fulfill the duties in that position, however humble. There are very few that possess these gifts and are willing to wait for the call of God. There are few, even without gifts, or else who imagine they have gifts, they are willing, who are willing to wait. It seems to be forgotten that incapacity to serve God in a few things is evidence of inability to serve Him in many, that He that is faithful in that which is least are the ones that will be faithful in much. And those who cannot make it possible to be faithful in these little things can never be entrusted with that which is great. There is a vast difference between worship and service. And I usually tell people, preaching and and um, holiness are two different things. Just because somebody is a preacher doesn't mean the person is holy. Just because one can break down the word of God and preach it faithfully and rightly doesn't mean the person is the most righteous person there is. There are many in the commonplace duties of life who have even equal, equally good or better characters than many pastors and preachers. And that is what the Lord is li- really looking for. If we cannot serve God in a humble place and in the daily duties that he has assigned to us, Surely we can never and will never serve him in any other place or circumstance. We need to learn this from Elisha. We should be ready to fill positions that are not so great in man's eyes. And talking about the reward, let us read now from Christ Object Lessons, page 403 and down to 404. So explain to us how God views these things. It says, There are many who have given themselves to Christ, yet who see no opportunity of doing a large work or making great sacrifices in his service. These may find comfort in the thought that it is not necessarily the matter self-surrender which is most acceptable, acceptable to God. It may not be the missionary who has daily faced danger and death that stands highest in heaven's records. The Christian who is such in his private life, in the daily surrender of self, 
in sincerity of purpose and purity of thought, in meekness under provocation, in faith and piety, in fidelity in that which is least, the one who in the home life represents the character of Christ, such a one may in the sight of God be more precious than even the world-renowned missionary or martyr. Oh, how different are the standards by which God and men measure character. God sees many temptations resisted, of which the world and even near friends never know. Temptations in the home, in the heart. He sees the soul's humility in view of its own weakness. The sincere repentance over even a thought that is evil. He sees the wholehearted devotion to his service. He has noted the hours of hard battle with self battle that won the victory. All this God and angels know. A book of remembrance is written before him, for him that fears the Lord and that think upon his name. Not in our learning, not in our position, not in our numbers or entrusted talents, not in the will of man is to be found the secret of success. Feeling our inefficiency, we are to contemplate Christ and through him who is the strength of all strength, the thought of all thought, the willing and obedient will gain victory after after victory. And however short our service or humble our work, if in simple faith we follow Christ, we shall not be disappointed of the reward, that which even the greatest and wisest cannot earn, the weakest and most humble may receive. Heaven's golden gate opens not to the self-exalted. It is not lifted up to the proud in spirit, but the everlasting portals will open wide to the trembling touch of a little child. Blessed will be the recompense of grace to those who have wrought for God in the simplicity of faith and love. End of quote. Amen. I hope that this helps our mind to view things in the right light. The Lord will have us understand that commonplace duties are places where we can also serve Him. And it is not only ministerial labor, and it is not the ministers alone who will get the the reward of God. Neither is it them who get the greater reward. God sees things differently. And He knows the temptations that you are overcoming on a daily basis. Even the repentance from the thoughts that you are thinking in your mind. He marks these things and He knows how He's going to reward us. Our duties and service may be short. For the Lord. James died at a young age. He didn't stay very long in the ministry. Same did Stephen. Stephen didn't stay long in the ministry. He was, his life was cut short. But God knows how he's going to reward these people. And Paul, who was a long time minister of the Lord, God knows how he reward him. And doesn't mean that Paul is going to get the greatest of gifts than those who were involved in commonplace duties, doing work that needed to be done. If everybody wants to be a minister, who will be the one that will take the place of being the businessman? Who will be the one that will take the place of doing the home duties? Who would be the one that will take the place of doing other labors in this world that are needful without which many of us will not survive? We can serve God wherever we are and in whatever occupation that we are doing. How do we serve God? By living in harmony with His will, keeping His commandments and even those occupations. While doing them, we can still have some time to pray for those who are in the missionary field, both local and who go as uh, missionaries to foreign lands. 
we can also in church services give contributions ask questions we can also go from house to house once in a while as we have the time to have bible studies with people while doing this we are not full-time ministers yes but the lord doesn't look down on such works and such labors know now that you are still accepted of the lord while doing this work but if you do nothing at all then especially not living in harmony with the commandments of god not showing the light of your life out for people to see confessing christ if you don't do that then we cannot be ministers of the lord and the lord will not reward us neither will we be in his kingdom what matters to god is that wherever we are we lay all on the altar for him we use all our strength our soul our mind our affections for things that bring glory to his name it is not the greatness of the work or the dexterity of our talents that matters to god but it is how much of our talents is used for his glory and the love which motivates us to use it so i pray that these words will come to our hearts and dwell there to help us to see that there's a work for us to do wherever we are and know when to answer the call because like elisha he was involved in commonplace duties but was called out of it doesn't mean that everybody must remain where they are remain where you are as a general rule but if the lord calls you to they will do the work that like that of elisha then you are to respond to that call because it is a peril of great price to do such a work may the lord bless all of us as we put into practice all we have learned let us pray dear father in heaven thank you lord for these words and i pray that they shall be consecrated to our hearts and help us to do better service for you i pray father that you help us not to be in that hustle and bustle of wanting to be popular, to be famous, to do the work on the world stage. Help us, Lord, to be careful, but to be ready to serve you even in commonplace duties and wherever we are. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers and thank you for answering. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
song with us. 